0: doing a great job. Uh, Kevin's on vacation, uh, so with the worship band, I think just feels right in, did excellent, and um, appreciate um, Kevin slash Shell leading out on the guitar there. That was pretty good, so appreciate you guys. I'm going to ask um, my friend Dave Rankin, who's a physician here in Knoxville, and has seen um, a lot of things in life from a different perspective than I have. Sometimes I see people struggle through these avalanches of their life, and uh, a point of view, I guess, from a from a pastor's position, maybe sometimes from a counseling seat, uh, just see what happens. He sees that, and the physical ramifications. Sometimes that, as a doctor, and what I'm going to do is ask him to come and and just to pray for folks in our community and in this fellowship who are going through an avalanche right now. Whether it's the kind we talked about last week, that is a crisis uh, that happens just all of a sudden, or the kind that we're going to look at today where you feel buried, where you feel like I am underneath this darkness, and it's not something that's just happened all of a sudden. It's something that seems to be going on, and you need relief, and we've got good news for you today. So, brother, would you just come and lead us in a prayer for the folks who just needs God's support during this time?
1: When we have troubles, Lord, you're there with us. And when the sun shines, you're there with us. And, Lord, you're a friend beyond all friends. And our king and our savior. And, Lord, we just love you. Lord, I pray for people in this congregation who are going through trials and tribulations right now. And maybe they don't want to share with anybody else because they might think they would be embarrassed. But, Lord, this is a family. And we should love each other. Not been done as in past, as we've beat people down as they've been on the ground. But lift them up and love them. And show our love for them. Because, Lord, you first loved us. And you came, became a human being, and died on a cross. You loved us that much. And you suffered, Lord. And you know what suffering is about. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for being there when we're suffering in the bad times. And Lord, we thank you for the good times. You are wonderful. In Jesus' precious name,
0: Amen. If you're a guest today, we're in the second part of a two-part series called Avalanche. And last week we talked about what do you do in those moments where life just seems to fall apart all of a sudden. You know, you get that call, and maybe it's your doctor, and, and he says, we, we need you to come back in. We think we found something. And your heart just starts beating in your chest. Or you get that call in the wee hours of the morning, and they say, I uh, do we've got your son and we need you to come down here. And all of a sudden, your whole world begins to spin. And most of us have lived in those moments. Some of you've had that conversation where someone said, hey, uh, I just don't feel the same way anymore. I, I don't think I love you anymore. And, and we need our relationship to take a different direction or I want a divorce. Some of you've had those sudden avalanches, probably most of us here, but there's a different kind, and it's the kind that just happens gradually. You know, most of the avalanches that we watch on television or in movies are done like in slow motion. You ever seen those where it begins to fall and then all this huge snow comes down? And, and you see the part, ah, oh, you know, and they're going to be crushed underneath this. And, just, and you feel like that say, Dan, for me, it's not a sudden crisis. It's just this thing that I, I seem to be stuck in this thing. And it could be about finances. It could be about relationships. It could be about a hundred different issues. But you understand what an avalanche is. It's just happening over a period of time. There's a guy in the Bible who wrote from that perspective. And it is, I'll just go ahead and tell you. It is, I think, the saddest, most depressing psalm I've ever read in the entire Bible. So I just wanted to cheer you up on a nice, sunny, you know, July day. Let's just read something really depressing together, okay? I've just chosen a couple of verses or a section of this to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. It's Psalm 88, and here's a taste of it. It says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. That's the place of the dead. I'm counted among those who go down into the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your only wrath lies, your wrath, excuse me, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me. With all your waves, sh-la. You have caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. And I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. And I spread out my hands to you. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now where just day after day you just cry, God, give me some relief. Lord, do something. This psalm ends with, with a little phrase and he said, darkness has become my closest friend. My best friend is when it gets dark. Some of you know what that feels like and you're, you're living there right now. Well, the good news is, is that when Jesus came, he preached a sermon just for folks living where the author of Psalm 88 was living. And you may be living that right now. And this sermon that he preached uh, was given at a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Jesus had been ministering all throughout Judea uh, in the area of Jerusalem for about eight months. He had been on the road, been traveling, and now he and his disciples come back to Galilee. They're doing ministry in this region. And... Luke says in verse 14 of chapter 4 in Luke, he says that news about him had spread all throughout the countryside. Jesus is like a rock star right now. Everybody's like, oh, you hear Jesus is coming back. and oh, Yeah, you know he's from here. Yeah, he's, you know, and they had bumper stickers on their chariots and everybody was trying to get tickets to the show. I mean, it was he was pretty popular at this moment and people wanted to hear him. He was an amazing communicator and speaker. And people like, oh, Jesus is coming to town. Well, he comes and there's a Sabbath on Shabbat. Jesus attends the synagogue in Nazareth. He, he gets up, he goes to church. And let me tell you about the custom that they had. If you were a visiting rabbi, if you were a teacher... Uh, custom dictated that he be invited to preach. Now, I've been in some other places, been in a couple other countries where and they found out, oh, uh, Dan's here, he's a pastor, and brother, get up and share a few words with us. And, and I learned I need to have something kind of ready to say, you know, because that's going to be expected whether you're prepared or not. they they kind of plan for that. If you're in the house, we want to hear what you got. So that's the situation that Jesus was in, he kind of expected that. So he's invited to preach, and the synagogue services weren't really that much different from ours, you know, today. I, I talked to a friend yesterday who uh, attends, his Jewish and attends Heskumana just down the street. They're getting a brand-new rabbi uh, at the end of this month, a uh, new guy coming in, uh, get to meet him. And we always have some interesting... My, my son said, what do you guys talk about when you have coffee with this guy? I said, well, we, we find points of interest. We find things in common that we have. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes we talk about our huge differences that we have, obviously, theologically and how we relate and, and where I am and why I think Jesus was Messiah. And, you know, why they don't. So it's a real interesting kind of conversation. Uh, Jesus was in synagogue. And uh, they would recite creeds. They would uh, pray together, kind of of like we do. Uh, There was a public reading of Scripture. And the way they would do that is that everybody would stand up. They would do one reading from the law, and they would do one reading from the prophets. And then everybody would sit down, including the speaker... Uh, the teacher, the rabbi, always taught from a seated position. He would sit down, and that was kind of the, the sign. Okay, this Jesus that we've heard about, and everybody's going, oh, have you heard Jesus? Oh my goodness, you've you got to get his podcast. It's just so good, and he's just he just says things in such a way, you know, and everybody's going to get to hear Jesus live for the very first time. So they're all excited about that. When Jesus sits down, all eyes are kind of locked in on him, and, and he's He's ready. And the way that this would happen is in a typical uh, service, uh, there are passages that were selected ahead of time to be read on specific days. You may come from a heritage like that. Some denominations do uh, like a lectionary, you know, where you know ahead of time, this is the scripture. And it's kind of, I've got a friend who is from that uh, tradition and he said, he said, I don't know. how. He said, how do you know what to speak about? And I said, well, I just have to project ahead and I have to pray through that and think about that. He said, for him, it's, it's laid out. He, he can tell you on any Sunday the scripture he's going to use because it's, done, it's a done deal. Now, for me, it's pretty loose. You know, like at Christmas, you know, I'm probably going to mention the birth of Christ sometime during the holidays. At Easter, I'm going to talk about the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus. This was focused even more so. Uh, Every Sunday was planned out. Now check this out because it's so much more than a coincidence what happened the day that Jesus kind of makes full circle. He comes back to the synagogue in Nazareth and the reading that day from Scripture was Isaiah 61. And some of you may say, well, Dan, why is that such a big deal? Listen to this. Let me just read to you uh, this passage because what it is, it's a prophetic passage that talks about Messiah. It says, one day there's a prophet coming. One day uh, someone's coming to do in Israel great and amazing things. Here's what Jesus read. Um, I'm just going to begin and just read the 18th and 19th verse. The Bible says this, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me "'because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives.'" And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read that, and then just a moment uh, of of hesitation. After Jesus read those words, he rolls up the scroll uh, and he sits down to speak. And the Bible says in, in verse 20, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And this word fixed is, is that's, I think that's a good southern word. We use the word fixed for just about, are you going to fix that? Yeah. Well, good, because I'm fixing to go. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I got my eyes fixed on you. you know, And this is kind of one of those all-purpose words. As a verb, That this is such a perfect uh, picture. Everybody was just glued to Jesus. I mean, they were, they were locked in on him. And here's how he began his sermon. Verse 21, he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You could have heard a pin drop. What? Are you saying yes? See, in other words, Jesus is saying the prophet that Isaiah is talking about, that's me. I'm him. God promised to send someone to preach to the poor, to proclaim liberty, to give sight to the blind, to set free the downtrodden. Here I am. I'm the guy. The words that Isaiah wrote, you know, hundreds of years ago are going to be specifically prophetic about me, my ministry, and this is what I've come to do. Whoa. I mean, nobody had ever preached that before out of that passage. You know, every rabbi that had come to town and Isaiah had come up like every year and they preach out of it. Nobody's introduction was quite as over the top as Jesus was that day. There's a lot we could say about this little passage. But what I want to do is just focus on the words that Jesus spoke at the very beginning of his message. Because it's an important passage of Scripture in that it tells us exactly what Jesus came to do. Somebody asked me once, well, what is Jesus all about? What's the whole thing? What is the... This is it. This is what Jesus uh, came to do. And this passage tells us what his priorities were. Uh, These are my goals. These are my ministry goals. This is where, you know, things are are going. And I I see in this that he mentions at least about five things uh, that were important to him. And these five things, he said, these, these are going to apply to everybody. They apply to me and they apply to you. And if you're going through an avalanche right now, I've been praying all week, especially this weekend, that you would find hope in this. And this would encourage you and you'd get direction and that you would walk back out thinking, you know, I, I think Jesus is for me and I think there's going to be a solution for this wherever you are. So let's focus on this and let's talk about not just what Jesus came to do for the world, even though that's specifically what this is about, but what he came to do for you. This is is about you. So here's five things that he wants to do in your life. And the first thing is this. He wants to meet your deepest needs. Jesus began by saying, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he, he's, he's referencing material poverty because at this time the religious system had kind of developed into this thing where rich people were kind of given favor. And they sat at certain places and, and you know, they were considered, you must be spiritual because you're doing pretty good. And that's a direct correlation to God. And so, you know, that's okay. And, and, and the poor people were just kind of left out of everything. Because, you see, and I, and I, need, I need us to see this. Yes, it's about people who are physically, you know, poor, who, who've come from poverty. But even the bigger context of that is that Jesus is talking about, you know, and, and if that's the case, you must be poor spiritually. You, you know, in the first century, poverty was widespread. and It was brutal. It was brutal. But Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, we sometimes forget because we live in one of the few places in earth and one of the few periods of history where uh, even being poor in our culture is a step up two or three or four from where a lot of people live and where they've lived in the past. Uh, We've been taught, and I come from a background, many of you know kind of my story, but my grandfather was... A West Tennessee sharecropper and lived in a little three room house and uh, outdoor facilities. I mean, it was just you know just barely making it, you know, like that. And and I, I understand that. I, I understand and have seen in our nation. I've been to other nations where I've seen poverty is just uh, almost unbelievable, just overwhelming. I've walked away from places and just wept and have to kind of pull myself together because I think I, I had seen on television or heard about people who live in such conditions but i never seen it with my own eyes. And we understand that. Uh, but even in that context, it's not like it was in the first century. People could work all day, every day, and never get ahead. They could do just backbreaking labor from dawn till nightfall and have nothing to stow- show for it and still... Uh, starved to death. And in fact, the, the governmental structure and the system of taxation at that time was actually designed to keep these working classes of poor people helpless and destitute. It was kind of designed to keep, you know, wealthy people wealthy and to kind of feed into that, that system and to keep other people exactly where they were uh, so that they could be manipulated. And these people were seen, these poorest of the poor were always seen as society's outcasts. It's not just, oh, they're poor and, you know, I ought to give something as I walk by. or It was worse than that. They were seen as there's something that must be wrong about them. There must be something evil about them. There must be something. And so it was okay to walk past and to not give to them. And their only recourse oftentimes was to beg. So you set up this, this self-destructive system where the only way I'm going to be able to eat today is if I beg enough all day to be able to get food tonight but you're not inclined to give to me when I'm begging because that's a signal to you, there must be something wrong with that guy. So they were outcasts, they were outcasts. And Jesus sits in this synagogue and everybody's dressed up and everybody's kind of, you know, uh, waiting to see what he's going to say. And they've all tried to get there and get the best seats. And Jesus said, well, uh, the deal is actually, I, I came for the poor, the people not even in this room. The so-called, you know, these unimportant people of society. Those who are poor and weak and helpless because those people matter to God. We kind of understand that. We kind of believe that. But in this moment, it was revolutionary. Because they weren't seen as that much of a priority in, in you know, those people's sight, the way God sees them. Well, you know, we don't really think they matter that much. Jesus is saying, yeah, they do. Actually, they do. They matter. And I want you to know, whatever your background is, wherever you're from, uh, whether that's economically, emotionally, or wherever you are spiritually. And you may think, Dan, spiritually right now, I don't don't have two dimes to rub together. I'm just so broke. I'm just so bankrupt spiritually. I, I feel hypocritical. I feel like a fraud even sitting here. And I have been to church. I've been to times where I've sat in the room thinking, I know everybody can tell what a big sinner I am, or they can tell what is this guy doing here. And can even remember the first few times I went to church feeling those looks of people. And I think I was pretty much on target and people looking, checking it out, going, what, where did that guy come from? And how did he get into our little church? You know, Uh, but I mattered to God. I was important to him. And I need you to know this. You need to know this. You're important to God. You matter to Him. And He cares because the reason Jesus came was to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. In the course of my ministry and probably in the course of your life, I've been in a lot of communities where people are affluent, where people are kind of in the middle, where people are just desperately poor. And, And here's what I've learned. There is a lack of things everywhere. You can find poverty anywhere you go. Anywhere you go. Even among the affluent, I have found there's a tremendous amount of lack. And sometimes it's still amazing to me that people who you think would have everything in the world, and you think, well, you've got this, and you've got that, and well, what is what is there to be sad about, will we'll become so depressed uh, they'll take their own lives. Most of the money on in th- for therapy and counseling is spent by upper middle class and upper class people. And I think that tells you something, that just because you have what you think is you're just going to be the thing. You know, if I get this, yeah, I, th- I, think I'm, I think I'm there. I think I'm going to be okay. My mom used to always, because we, we were never, you know, very affluent. We were kind of a lower middle class family. And to compensate from that, you had to think that the other side... Oh, they're not doing so great. And my mother used to always say this statement, and it always sounded so pathetic. It always sounded kind of pitiful to me. She goes, yeah, but you know, son, because I'd look, I'd see a car, and I'd think, oh, that is such a cool car, and I like that, or, oh, that's so that's so nice. And she'd say, but you know, rich people aren't happy. She'd always say, rich people aren't happy. And for a little while, I believed her, but after a while, I started to Mom, I think they are. They look like they're having a pretty good time to me. I mean, we're not doing so great over here either. You see, it's not about that. It's not about that. There's a poverty in our spirit. There's an emotional poverty that people live with where there's no sense of joy. There's no sense of fulfillment. There's no sense of direction or purpose. I had a very successful businessman to sit down with me across from the table one day and say, and I was kind of recounting to him, here's your accomplishments, man. I'm just, uh, I admire you so much. You got, he said, you know what? None of that means anything. He was living under an avalanche. In relationships, And he said, none of that matters to me at all. He said, I feel like the poorest man on earth. I want you to know whatever your lack is, whatever your need is, Jesus came to meet that. No matter what the needs are in your life, you think, I'm just going through this season financially, or I'm going through this area in relationships. There are a couple of things you can count on. One is that Jesus, just like that song we sang, that was a beautiful song Chris did. Uh, there, you know, he's going to, stay with you during that time. He will not leave you. And not only will he stay there with you, but he's going to help you to overcome that. He's he's not going to allow you just to remain in that place of poverty uh, forever. He's going to give you the strength to endure it, and then he's going to give you the power to overcome that. So you can go to him with your deepest needs. And here's the second thing I think Jesus came uh, to do. He wants to set you free from whatever has taken a hold of you. And I played with this and rewrote this about four or five times because I I thought, this is what I ended up with on the screen. He wants to set you free from whatever has a hold on you. (laughs) And again, that's just kind of my culture poking through. What's got a hold on you, boy? You know, And and I can just kind of, can you just feel that? If you're not from the South, I hope you grasp what this is about. What is it that has so captured you that you are in bondage? that you feel like you're living under it. Jesus said that God, here's what he said, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. The NIV says to proclaim freedom to prisoners. And you may feel like a prisoner to an addiction. You may feel like, Dan, I I have been so captured by uh, food or sex or alcohol or gambling or I could just continue to go on. Some of you are addicted to television. I mean, it just goes on and on the things that can capture our our lives and and what what catches up to us and just hold us, hold us, hold us down. Some of you are imprisoned by anger or guilt or fear or shame or resentment or revenge or jealousy. There's all these things that just grab hold of us and then just shackle us down as if we had chains on our hands and feet. And as much as you try to manage your rage or your lust or your bitterness, you think, I can't. At the end of the day, I always fail. And you're his prisoner. You don't control this thing. It controls you. Every person in this room is or or has been captive to something uh, during their life. And I want you to know, Jesus came to set you free. And just feel that statement. Just let that spark a little hope, a little something inside your heart. Really? Do you mean I could be done with this? I could be free of this? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. John eight thirty six says, if the Son sets you free, if Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. When I first met Jesus, there are all these issues in my life. Now, I had a boatload. I had all kinds of things going on. I thought, yeah, this is great. And God, I love you now. And I kind of see a lot of things I've never seen before. It's like all of a sudden I can, I can just, I can comprehend. But I don't know if I'm ever going to be free of this or this. And God has set me free. Now I'm not going to be real braggy about that or too arrogant because I know, I know what our hearts are made like. But I can tell you this living with him and in him and in the liberty that he gives you is so much better, and you're going to like it. You're going to like that because it includes you. If you're a prisoner, it includes you. Just imagine that for a moment. The guilt, gone. The past, no longer haunting you. Your sins, your mistakes, no more torment. Your shame doesn't engulf you. Just set free. Just set free. No longer being controlled by your emotions like anger and just being being pulled along. No longer being tempted through images, and whether it's an advertisement or wherever you see that, because our culture just throws this at us constantly so that we're just held in bondage to sexual thoughts. And you think, I've just been set free from that. Just set free. Jesus said, I have come to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives. So where did it, whatever it is, whatever it is that's got a hole in you, he's able to set you free. He can do with that. And I know some of you may be thinking, kind of like I've thought, well, yeah, I understand about this, this, and this, but you don't know my deal. You don't know what I'm dealing with. This is really big. This is really hard. Well, he's really big. <laughs> he's really big, and he can do that. And here's a third thing that I think Jesus came to do for us. He wants to give you a new outlook on life. Brand new way. Uh, see in life. Jesus said, he said, I want to proclaim this. I'm here for the recovery of sight to the blind. I'm going to give recovery of sight to the blind. And just like when we talked about poverty a moment ago, he's speaking literally, and he's speaking kind of in a bigger context. He's speaking in kind of a figurative way too, because in his earthly ministry, He's going to heal and restore the sight of a lot of blind people. You know, you see a lot of stories about that because it was a a tremendous difficulty at that time. And if you still go to poverty-stricken places in the world, uh, particularly in areas where hygiene is not really um, good and people touch specific things and then they touch their eyes and and then disease sets in and they lose their sight. It's very common then. And in that day, uh, and to some degree now, but even then, when you lost your sight, you've lost everything. There was no welfare program. There was no training center. There, there was nothing to kind of help you get past that and learn to deal with that difficulty and to move on with your life. Everything just shut down. So it was a big deal. And Jesus says, I want to restore sight, uh, physical sight. But you know what? We've become blind to truth. Think of all the instances where he tried to have conversation with the Pharisees or just, you know, how the Sadducees were always against him because they said, well, we see it this way. And he says, you don't see it right. You've become blind to who God is. Uh, And there's a certain kind of blindness to truth where we allow our fears, we allow prejudice and lack of faith, we allow our own sins to prevent us from seeing God in a situation. It's like we put these veils, we put these walls between us and truth. And Jesus says, I came to lift those walls so that you could see again. Yesterday, Kathy and I went by the pool for a little while, and there was a guy there who I'd never seen at this pool where we go. And he was probably, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. And you could tell he had not been at a swim pool very often. And what he would do is he would climb up on the diving board, and you know the metal rails? He would hold those things with both hands. And it kind of got my attention because he wasn't even pretending to be casual about it. I mean, he's gripping that thing, and he would take one step, and then another. It's like he was on the edge of a cliff a mile up. And I thought, dude, it's just a four foot. You know, I mean, you're just this high above the water and there's like six lifeguards. Now everybody's watching you because we don't know what's going to happen next. And, he, and he's just kind of inching out like this. And he gets to the end of the board and he lets go of the railing. And now people who know him are starting to cheer him on. Yeah, come on, man, jump in, jump. And, and he gets to the edge finally of the board and I think this is about to be a beautiful moment in his life. And he and he calls out to the people in the water. And it's like the Coast Guard waiting for him. I mean, like everybody's there. The lifeguards, they're ready to jump in. I and mean, I thought, it's just... And little children that come up to his waist and his knee, you know, are standing behind him going, hurry up, we want to do this. You know, they're ready. They've been doing... But he doesn't. He takes a step back and another step back and he grabs the rail. And he turns around. And I just... I looked the other way so he wouldn't see me watching him, you know, because I thought he's, he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed and ashamed and he just missed something. And I heard him when he when he went down, he said, I was just too scared. And he said, I feel like I let And, he, she, and, and the lady who was with him said, no, 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 you didn't let me down. You don't have to do that. I'm not trying to force you into this. I don't want this to be a bad day. She said, I just want you to have fun. And a lot of people think that that's fun. A lot of people get a lot of enjoyment out of going up on that board, and you see them doing it time and time again because it's fun. And I hope before the day's over, you'll give it a try. He said, I don't think so. And I just felt that. You ever done something that you felt like it was on the... You ever jumped out of an airplane or... The first time time I went diving, and we just kept going deeper and deeper, and I thought, I don't know. This is kind of fun, but it's a little little weird, too. Uh, You know, what am I doing down here? How did I get... You know, 60 feet under the water, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, and this is not good behavior. There's something in us, there's a tension in us that says, that's not for me. That's, that's not for me. That's not for me. And we hold on to this old way of looking at life. We underestimate God's ability to take us to new places, and we exaggerate the problem. Some of you living under an avalanche, and God says, here's a solution. If you'll just step out in faith with me, and if you'll just be obedient to the Word and do this, I promise you, you're going to see things differently, But it's hard, isn't it? And I'm just going to encourage you, step out. Jump off into God. Step into Jesus and just take that risk. Ask God to help you. Lord, would you help me to see this this, this situation from your perspective? Would you help me to battle through my own frustration and my own fear and to see this and to see you through the eyes of faith? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to begin to realize that the problem... And I'm not trying to minimize it, but it's not as big as you thought it was. Your resources aren't as limited. You're not out of ideas yet. The Holy Spirit begins to illuminate things. And all of a sudden, you develop this whole new outlook on a situation that you thought was hopeless. Jesus said, that's because I came to give you sight. That's because I came to proclaim uh, vision for those who are blind. Hey, you don't have to live your life as if you're just feeling your way through the darkness every day. You don't have to live like that anymore. He wants to help you see. Now, here's the fourth thing Jesus wants to do is make you feel good. This one I hesitated about. This was even took a little more thought than, uh, you know, just want, something's got a hold on you. Um, Jesus wants to make you feel good. You think, Dan, I don't know if that, that doesn't sound churchy. It doesn't sound right. You know, it doesn't even sound spiritual. And on the surface, it looks kind of shallow. I admit that. But I want you to think about that with me. God doesn't want you to go through life just feeling bad all the time. There's, there's not an equation where it says you feel really bad, you feel really guilty, you feel really oppressed. Hey, that's good. I think you're getting there. That's what God likes that. He likes for religious people to be very, very serious all the time and not feel good about themselves. Well, I'm just sitting here and, and God bless. And I think, well, you must be pretty spiritual. There's a disconnect there. That's not at all what Jesus came to create in us. In fact, in this text today, Jesus said, I came to set free those who are downtrodden. And that little word downtrodden means if you've got the blues. If you've been caught under an avalanche, if you're sad, you're oppressed, and you just think, well, I'm just kind of moping along. And he says, I came to set at liberty those who are bruised. Those who've been beat up a little bit. You ever been bruised? My wife bruises so easily. And the boys, it just, they're kind of rough with her. And sometimes I'll be upstairs and I can hear it's getting started because she always threatens, that if they don't do, she says, I'm going to beat you up. And then they laugh at her. It's just really disrespectful pastor's home. And... You know, and I said, don't, don't grab your mother. Don't grab him. And she starts calling my name. And I know they've got her down on the couch and they're just mocking her. You know, it's just, it's a, it's just, please pray for us and pray for her. Um, but I came down the day and he's got, you know, one of my sons who were named nameless. I'm not going to say who he is. He's on the second row in the middle, but, um, and he's, he's holding her down. And he's laughing at her. And I said, let her go, let her go because you're going to bruise her all up. <laughs> You just touch her and I, boom, there's a bruise. There's, a, well, there's another bruise. And some of you feel like, you think, you know what? I've just lived my, I've been banged up so much in my life. I bruise easily. And sometimes the least thing can come along. And you think, I know this shouldn't affect me this way. I know this shouldn't hurt me so badly, but it does. And you're tired of that. You're just tired of feeling beat up and, and, and banged around all the time. Listen, God doesn't want you to feel that way. And I know there's seasons of that. I'm not preaching like, oh, everybody should be happy all the time and nothing should ever go wrong in your life and just, you know, have a good time. That's not it, okay? So don't don't hear that. Just hear this, that he wants to be very gentle with you. In fact, in Isaiah 42, verse 3, the book in prophecy about Jesus said, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. One of the reasons I didn't come to Jesus sooner is I was a little bit scared of him. You know, that what's he going to do to me? And if God ever gets a hold of my life, then, oh, my goodness, he's going to, I've got you now. And he's going to do, you know, we feel like he's just this cosmic killjoy. And that he's just going to shut down any kind of fun in your life. And it's, well, now I'm a Christian. Good. Welcome in, brother, here, you know. And uh, you need to get rid of those brightly colored things and, you know, <laughs> and stop smiling so much. And that's really not what God has in mind for you. Hey, no matter how fragile you are, no matter how vulnerable you've become and how you feel, Jesus has come into your life to protect you. That's why he says in verse eleven, excuse me, chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine of Matthew, he says, "Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart." He's going to be very careful with you. He's going to take care of you. And if you're beaten up, if you feel bruised and downtrodden, Jesus wants to release you from that. How long has it been since you just felt good? How long has it been since you just really laughed about something? Since you felt the freedom to smile? How long has it been since you just stopped and and thought, you know what? I, I think I'm happy. Maybe too long. Jesus said, I want you to be full of joy. In fact, I want you to experience an abundance of joy. I came to give it where it's just overflowing. And I want you to know peace. I want you to know hope. You don't have to feel oppressed all the time. You can feel blessed instead of oppressed. There's one other thing he has for us. Jesus came so that we would experience God's favor. And I think I saved this one for last. You know, Jesus said, I I came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Or as the New Living Translation puts it like this, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And I hope that's what today is for some of us. You know, some of us kind of approach God and we see him. He's kind of mad about things. God's always angry. He's kind of vindictive. God seems harsh. He's demanding. And to him, I'm nothing but a disappointment. And for some of us in this room, God isn't a God of unconditional love. He's just a God of stern disapproval. Well, that's okay, but I I still don't like you very much. That's because we see blindly. You know, God wants to create a whole different way of the way that we relate to him. And the good news is, God's not mad at you. He's not perpetually annoyed with you. He's not impatient with you. He loves you and he wants, he longs with all of his heart to pour out his blessings in your life. And those of you who are parents, you understand this. You have to discipline your children and yes, they do stuff. And oh my goodness, they, you know, there's these moments you think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go online and look up military schools. I'm gonna, you know, we're going to create, we've got to do something. You know, to, but then at the end of the day, you, you want to give and you want to bless them. God just wants to overwhelm you with His favor. Jesus didn't come. The Bible didn't never said, and He came to proclaim the wrath of God. Now you know what it says in John three seventeen. Everybody knows three sixteen. Listen to the verse right after that. Verse seventeen says, "For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why He came to condemn you. But and some of you need to have this underlined, highlighted in your Bible." but that the world through him might be saved. He came to give you life and hope. And if you would just turn your heart towards him, you're saying, God, I want to receive your favor today. I want to receive your blessing today. I receive your mercy. I know I don't deserve it at all. I know what a sinner I am. I've messed things up. My very best ideas, my coolest thoughts, my greatest plans have gotten me right where I am right now. And I give all that up, and I just turn to you, and I give you my heart. That's a beginning place. That's that place like the guy yesterday on the diving board. If he had just jumped in, he would have known. For you to understand what I'm talking about, you're going to have to jump in. You're just going to have to jump into Jesus. Now, some of us use different language for that. We call it, you need to get saved. You need to receive Christ. You need to be in Jesus. However you wrap that up, a relationship with him is exactly what you need and what you're looking for. And we'd like to help you to initiate that, to begin that. My relationship with him began with a prayer. One night, in my confusion, under this avalanche, and and at a time in life where I wasn't sure the purpose of the whole thing and where I was headed, I just knelt down and I prayed a simple prayer. And in that moment, something changed in my life forever. I'm not saying it's been great. I've had my share of problems. I've had my share of difficulties. I've cried buckets of tears. That part didn't go away. Life didn't suddenly become, you know, uh, this beautiful Disney cartoon or anything. It's still got its ups and downs and its hard days and its good days. But with it, Jesus has stepped in. He's made everything different. And even the avalanches aren't devastating anymore because I'm not alone. You will never live one day, one moment alone ever again. Jesus came for all of us, the people of this planet, to meet your deepest need, to set you free from whatever it is that's got its grip on you, to help you to see life from this angle of truth, to heal your hurts and to restore you emotionally. And most of all, So that you could experience God's favor, his blessings, to know God, to enjoy his presence in your life. Never be alone again. That's why Jesus came. And that's what this moment is about. Chris is going to come back up and we're going to do just one more song. And during this time, I want you to think through these things and to think where you are with your avalanche of life. And would you just let us pray with you and for you? And if you're at a place in your life where you could say, Hey, Dan, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I'm not there. And, and, and I, I think I began to see today that Jesus came not just for others, not just for the world in a big sense. He came for me. He came, he really came just for you. In fact, if you had been the only person on the planet under this avalanche and the rest of us were doing just fine, the rest of us were sinless and the rest of us, everything was okay. Okay. You know that he would have come and he would have died on the cross and gone through all that just for you. Because you were in his heart, you were in his mind that moment. He loves you that much. If you're not sure how to do this, Dan, I just, I don't know where to begin. The good news, we've got pastors here and we've got counselors here who just walk you through. We've got some private rooms in the back. We can do it right here. Just say, here, it's just real simple. Some of you, already know the drill. You think, yeah, I kind of know how to do it. I kind of know what to do and I know I need to. I just never have. I've just been reluctant to pull the trigger because I've been scared of what would happen. And I just kind of stand in here. You're going to live the rest of your life crawling back down. Jump off today. Jump off into Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I want to thank you for your great love for us. You're amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for fulfilling that prophecy of Isaiah's. All of us in this room have felt like the guy who wrote Psalm 88. Some people feel like that today. Father, would you bring restoration and healing? Would you bring comfort and relief today? And I pray that there are those who are kind of battling at this moment with whether this is for them. Oh, Spirit, would you speak truth into their life and just give them glimpses of of what their life could be like if they abandon their sin and their guilt and their shame and come to Jesus. Thank you so much. Lord, we love you. Appreciate you so much being with us through all of the avalanches that life has brought us and will bring us. You never leave us. And that by itself, that alone is worth being a Christian.